All right. Well, welcome back. Boy, you should see the scramble going on here behind the camera as we try to restart computers and all the things going on. And so uh, thank you for patiently bearing with us. And um, we're sorry about that. We're having just some tough technical difficulties today. And so, uh, but we're back now and I think everything will be okay. And I'm sorry you didn't get to see the rest of Andy and Bronwyn's video. I'm like bummed about that. So I'm looking forward to seeing it. And they were going to read for us the rest of Joshua chapter 2, uh, where we're going to go in our text this morning. But at least we're back now and we'll just, we'll just roll with it, okay? So again, thanks for your patience with us and sorry about that. And uh, yeah, I do love those scripture uh, greetings and readings. Um, from the families, and so nice to see uh, Sean and Carla and the kids and Andy and Bronwyn, and we're hoping to do more of those in weeks to come, and we'll have that figured out. That won't happen again. Uh, hopefully not, Lord willing. And uh, so, hey, I will turn with me to Joshua chapter 2. I'll get you to grab that, and uh, while you're going there, I hope you had an awesome Easter weekend. What a sweet time. I hope you got a chance to be with some family. Good Friday and a Resurrection Sunday, and it's just a sweet time of year celebrating Passover and celebrating um, the resurrection and remembering the cross of Jesus. A series that we started just two weeks ago, Joshua chapter 1, and we're going to be um, just making our way through Joshua in the weeks to come here. And uh, it's just a great book telling the story of God's people entering the promised land and all that they had to go through, all the trials that they had. Like, you know, you, it was Joshua got really ticked when the internet went down just as they were about to cross the Jordan River. But uh, then they got it back up and going. So, hey, hey, this morning, would you join me? Let's bow our heads in prayer, okay, as we come uh, to God's word. And uh, let me pray for you at home. Lord, we just thank you uh, for this morning. I thank you, Lord, for each person that's just able to join us online. And Lord, we just ask for your help in the midst of just some technical difficulties this morning, uh, in the midst of all the things that are going on in the world. Lord, we're just in a place that we recognize that we need you, Jesus, more than ever. To know your peace and to know your comfort and to know what it is to walk with you, to have a relationship with you. Today, that we have your word, that your word is living, that your word is, is like bread for the You, through your word, just, uh, you satisfy us and draw us into relationship. for just every person that's joining us right now. Father, that you would just strengthen them, Lord, that you would encourage them. I know that your spirit would just come lift them up. Lord, I thank you for those that are feel like they're brimming with hope in these days. Lord, I get in the water deeper with you in these days. And so, Lord, we give you this time. Ask your blessing on the teaching of your To. And as we get ready to look at it, it's probably good that we just take a, a few minutes to remember where we've been because we weren't. Uh, 
behind the book of Joshua. And so let you let me remind you where we're at in the salvation So here's the background. 40 years prior to this text that we're about to read here. land that God had promised uh, to Abraham and to the descendants of Abraham. Egypt. He had come to the border land of the promise, promised land, and he had sent 12 spies. they could prepare to go in and know what enemies they were going to have to face and who they were going to have to battle. Back a report that said, hey, this land is full of giants. There, there are too many mighty are a lot of them and we're outnumbered and they're mighty and we're going to get defeated by them and what happened was this is that these 10 spies brought back a discouraging report and they discouraged the hearts of God's people. Maybe like you're just feeling this morning. Their hearts were discouraged. And so the result is this. The children of Israel made a decision against Moses and against their leaders and against the Lord that they would not enter the promised land. And so the Lord turned them about face. He led them back into the wilderness and they wandered there in the wilderness for 40 years until that entire generation had passed away except for two men, the two spies that brought good reports, Joshua, who this book's named after, and Caleb. And so even Moses had passed away and then the Lord called Joshua to lead this new generation of people to finally conquer and to inhabit the land that God had promised uh, Abraham and so at the start of Joshua, uh, in this book, uh, the entire nation, 1.5 million people somewhere in that range, is camped on the east bank of the Jordan River. And across the river on the other side, on the western plains, is this great city, uh, the city of Jericho. And Israel is prepare, preparing to cross the river and to go against the city of Jericho, this this mighty fortress where they're going to have to have their first battle. And one of the things that we observed when we were in Joshua chapter 1 that I want to just bring back to your memory because I believe it sets the tone all the way through the book of Joshua. And we're going to keep coming back here. Was that this, that the, that the children of Israel had been led out of slavery in Egypt. They had come through the wilderness to the boundary of the promised land. And here's the thing that I want you to remember is this, is that they had the option to enter the land of promise or to not. They could, they could enter the land of promise and enter into all that God had for them, or they could refuse to enter the promised land and they could continue to live this life of wandering in the wilderness. And it's amazing because the, there's a picture here for us. See, you and I as followers of Jesus, we've been set free like them. They were set free from slavery to the Egyptians. We've been set free from slavery to sin and death. And God brings us out on this, this journey and it's exciting to, to be let free, to be set free from, from slavery, from slavery to sin and to start walking with Jesus. See, being born again is like the start of this new life. But just like this generation of people in the book of Joshua, 
who are going to enter the land of promise, we have to recognize that for us, we're called to do this, this same pattern, that we're to enter a life of promise, that we're to enter into this life of faith and the promises of God. We can be born again and, and just kind of continue to wander, but Jesus wants to lead us through into new things, into the life of promise. And so contrary to what a lot of people might believe about a life of faith and walking with Jesus as well, we say, well, yeah, that's like, isn't that awesome, this abundant life? It's going to be so free of problems and troubles and trials and tribulations. And, and that's not the case because as we're going to see here, Joshua and the children of Israel had many battles to face once they came into the promised land. There, were new, there was new territory to take. There was new promises to enter into. There was new enemies that had to be defeated. And, and the thing that was exciting about it was that it was, a life, it was going to be a life of faith following Joshua, and we have been called to enter this life of faith following Jesus. And so one of the things that we saw in Joshua chapter 1, let me remind you, was this, that, that Moses, as the leader of the children of Israel, represented uh, the law of God. He was the one who had inherited the law. God had given him the law for, on Mount Sinai, and he was never going to be able to lead the children of Israel into the land of promise. See, to enter the land of promise required this. They needed a new leader, a man of faith, uh, this man, Joshua, and so too for you and I, our, our relationship to the promises of God is based on faith. And we have to be led by Jesus in this, in this relationship and in this faith relationship with the promises of God and, and his word. And so it's important to grasp that the land of promise that these people were sitting on the boundary of and the land of promise, the life of promise that you and I are called to enter into that, that can't happen through moral striving. It can't happen through human effort. So God did this. He entrusted leadership to Joshua to lead the people by faith into the land of promise. And we saw in Joshua chapter 1 that everything belonged to them. All the land belonged to them, but they would only possess the places where their foot stepped down. Where, their, where the sole of their foot touched. In other words, they could have as much of the promised land as they wanted. They just had to go there. They just had to follow Joshua and put the sole of their foot down on the ground. And the same is true for us. It's just we follow Jesus. And the scripture tells us in, in Ephesians that God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. Or Sorry, it's in 1 Peter. God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing that is in Christ. But every blessing has to be claimed by faith. The promises of God have to be entered into by faith. And we follow Jesus as our Lord in this relationship. And so it's interesting, you know, when you come to Joshua chapter 2, I go, huh, I wonder, how would you, you know, I was just praying through this text this week and thinking on it and soaking in it and wondering, how do I describe this passage? You know, I was wrestling through, like, we're going we're gonna to take a few minutes before we get to it. You know, the idea was we were going to play these videos and you're going to hear the scripture and then I was going to do a little bit of a longer introduction before we got to it, but we're going to get there, okay? So we're going to get to Joshua chapter 2, but let me set a bit of groundwork here because, you know, I thought, how would I describe this chapter, you know? And here, so here's what I would say, because this chapter is about, uh, it's a lesson for the children of God about entering the promised land, and I would say it contains an unlikely lesson from an unlikely person in an unlikely place. An unlikely lesson from an unlikely person in an unlikely place. 
The word unlikely means something that's improbable, something that's unexpected, something that's kind of beyond what you believed. Something is going to happen here that was beyond, well, that was implausible for the children of Israel. An unlikely lesson from an unlikely person in an unlikely place. And you know, it's interesting to think about that because God loves to do this. Have you discovered this about God? God loves to use unlikely people, unlikely places, and do unlikely things. You know, I, I do this, and I know you do this too. I love to build my little box around God and fit him in here, and, and then I get him into this nice package for myself so that I can bring the infinite, omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent God down into my little brain and my little world and shrink him down so that I think that I can understand him and grab a hold of him, and then he does this. Oh, let me just smash that view that you have. You, you, you just brought me down and you've made me too small. You fashioned me as an idol in your own image. Like, God is always looking to do that. And so to smash our idolatrous views of him, he uses unlikely people, unlikely places for unlikely lessons. You know, it's amazing. It says in Isaiah 55 verse 9 that for as high as the heavens, sorry, for as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts, says the Lord. And so let me remind you about something about God this morning as we consider his word. God uses unlikely places. Like a manger. Like a manger. Like when there was no room in the inn, the Lord used a place, a barn, that was fit for animals, and there the Son of God was laid, the Savior of the world, placed in a manger. See, not one of us would ever dream that up in our furthest imaginations. And not in a million years would you ever have thought that up. Oh, well, just the Son of God will be born in a barn. Or how about the fact that, that Jesus would be raised in Nazareth? We know from the scripture the very reaction of Philip, who became one of the disciples, when he famously said, can anything good come from Nazareth? Boy, that's an unlikely place. Or how's this for an unlikely place? A cross on a hill in, in Golgotha, the place of the skull. How, how could in any way that be a place that God could use? And what did God do? And he used that place to, to sacrifice his son for the sins of the world. How's that for unlikely places? See, the Lord says, for as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. But God doesn't just use unlikely places. He uses unlikely people. Like when he sent Samuel to the house of Jesse to anoint one of his sons to be the next king of Israel. And they went through son after son after son, and the Lord kept telling Samuel, no, that's not the guy. No, that's not the guy. No, that's not the guy. Until there was nobody left, and Samuel said to Jesse, don't you have any other sons? He said, oh yeah, right. <laughs> There's one more. He's out in the field looking after the sheep. And the Lord told Samuel, he's the one, anoint him king. Unlikely people. Or how about Gideon? Gideon, who when we meet him in scripture in the book of Judges was, was hiding for fear of the Midianites. And the Lord says to him, greeted him with this Greeting, blessed are you, mighty warrior. And he said, Lord, are you sure? You got the right guy? You think you got the right guy? Why would you pick me when I'm part of the weakest clan? 
the weakest family in that clan from the weakest tribe, and God said, no, get in, you're my man. Or when God needed an apostle to go and be a missionary to the Gentiles and to preach the gospel and to travel all around the known world, who did he pick? But the man who was responsible for the murder of Stephen, a man who was breathing out murderous threats against the church, a man who hated followers of Jesus, so much so that he had gone and got authority to chase followers of Jesus to other cities and make sure that they get arrested even wherever they would flee and put in jail. And Saul the Pharisee met Jesus and Saul became Paul the Apostle. How's that for unlikely people? See, for as high as the heavens are above the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts, says the Lord, Isaiah 55, 9. Unlikely places, unlikely people, and unlikely lessons. Like when he took Gideon's little army and he whittled it down from 22,000 soldiers to 300 men. Lord said, I'm going to do that so that the glory goes to me. So that you know who won the victory. Or how about when Jehoshaphat had to face that army and the Lord told him, send the worshipers in front of the army. And so they did. They sent the choir out in front of the, the army and they sang worship to the Lord. And as they did, the Lord himself defeated their enemies. Or how about, you know, unlikely lessons? How about Jesus saying to his disciples, go get the foal of a donkey. Because I'm a king. And I'm about to save the world. I'm going to ride into Jerusalem on a, on a donkey. How's that for unlikely lessons? See, the Lord always wants us to know that for as high as the heavens are above the earth, so my thoughts are higher than your ways and my thoughts. So my ways are higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. Unlikely lessons, unlikely people, unlikely places. You know, Paul wrote the church in Cor Corinth about this, and he said this. It's going to come up on the screen. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 27 to 30. It says, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus. and redemption so that it, as it is written let the one who boasts children of Israel in Joshua chapter 2 they're prepared they're ready to enter the land of promise so he chooses an unlikely place the city of Jericho in Scripture, were notoriously idolatrous and immoral people. It's weird, eh? They worship creation rather than the Creator, and a lot of their worship... Is this that, that the residents of Jericho would take human skulls, and they would replant... To make them look like they had human skin on them, and then they would bury them in their own houses. 
images made on human skulls. Some sort of strange cult worship and going on and, and the worship of creation rather than creator. It always includes all sorts of over the place. They were not God-fearing people. Jericho, in fact, was the first of to the land and to defeat if they were going to take possession of it. So let me ask you this. Like, think about people in Jericho. Was it just a place to be destroyed or did God have something? And I would say yes, because in Jericho, there was, there was an unlikely person. Rahab. The original language actually expresses the idea that Rahab was going on in that end. Because all throughout Scripture, uh, the Scripture tells us that she about the things that were going on in her end. Throughout Scripture, she's, like I said, referred to that. that, that likely people. Well, Rahab is as unlikely as anyone. But the Boaz of Ruth, she became the mother of Boaz. And, and Boaz, by the name of David, who happened to become, you know that guy, King David. Person, but you flip to the New Testament, and what do you see? I mean, you look at Matthew chapter 1, and amongst four women mentioned in the genealogy of Jesus, faith chapter, this chapter of all these amazing stories of people who, and the faith that they had in God. And and one of them is Rahab. The other one that's mentioned is the mother of Isaac, the grandmother of, of uh, Jacob and, and the one who gave birth to all Sarah is in the hall of faith. I can understand that. That one makes sense. But Rahab. What does God desire that you and I would learn from her? Here's Israel. Rahab has a lesson for us. An unlikely person, an unlikely place, and here
without works is dead. See, the life of promise, the life of promise, and food and one of you says go in peace be warm and filled it does not have works it's dead it's dead faith God and that he's one and they shudder at him. They believe that his faith was completed by works. You know, James uh, goes so far as to doctrine of faith alone when we land on this but I, I want I want you to I want to read it to you alone wow that's like uncomfortable <laughs> that's uncomfortable for me I don't like that I, I gotta say because I'm like You see, a person, James says, is justified by works and not just by faith alone. From Scripture to illustrate that faith must be accompanied by works? This is And her example. He says, Was not Rahab the prostitute? And I want to tell you this, I, I, I would encourage you to write this down. This is the
Rahab didn't go to Bible college. Rahab didn't. She didn't speak Hebrew. Maybe you don't know that either. You're like, who's Calvin? Who's Wesley? Amen. I, that's okay. No, not... Yeah, but you mean the lesson of entering the land of promise is this, is that faith without works is Faith is less about what you say. to search out the land. You know in the Bible, the Bible says this, that every witness, that every land on the other side of the Jordan to spy out the, the city of Jericho. And, and before the children got, And so these spies were sent in to see if they could take the land. Sends them to Jericho. He says, especially scope out Jericho. And so they go to this city.
True saving faith can't stay hidden for long. And who have come to you, who entered your house, had taken the two men and hidden them. And she said, True, the men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. And when the gate was about to be closed at dark, the men went out. I did not know where the men went. Pursue them quickly, for you will overtake them. But she had brought them up to the roof and hid them with the stalks of flax that she had laid in order on her roof. Verse 7, So the men pursued after them on the way to the Jordan as far as the fords, and the gate was shut as soon as the pursuers had gone out. Now, you know, a number of years ago, we took our kids to Disney World. It was awesome. It was kind of like the family trip of a lifetime. And we didn't tell our kids. We said, we're going to Seattle which was true. We were going to Seattle. We just didn't tell them in Seattle, we're going to get on a plane. We're going to fly to Florida. And then we're spending two weeks down there, man. We're going to have an awesome time. So, uh, one o'clock in the morning. And so we went to Lisa's mom's house in Langley. We crashed there. We got the kids in bed. And then we were going to wake them up and tell them we're going to Disney World. And we're going to drive down to Seattle now. Super stoked about this. We had planned it for months and months and months. In fact, the whole church knew, but our kids didn't know. So, a little after midnight, we're going to leave at one. And it's time to wake the kids up and say, Kids, we're going to Disneyland. I said, Isabella, Isabella, wake up. And she tried to kick me. Liar! 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 And she started kicking me and calling me a liar. This is you and I as we read this text right here. Rahab, what? You liar! you know he's good to listen to by the way you know great great teacher she she had no training in apologetics which would have helped her she didn't know the ten commandments which would have didn't have a polished answer for the king of Jericho so she defaulted to what this woman knew I think they might be Israelites. I rumor going around the city, and it's a big city, uh, that they're She lies. And it's an interesting thing. You know, it's kind of a fun text to kick around in this sense to say, wow, was that. I, you know, and I, I just think, wow, this is kind of one of those questions in the scripture where it's like really easy.
when you're not standing in her spot. It's easy to say. You know, you think about this. If And you read this and you go, well, what does the, do the ends justify the means? Well, my would have been for her to tell the truth and to trust God, to trust in the providence of God, to trust in the sovereignty. It's not your life on the line. And I think for me, as I, you know, going over this text, I think the best But she was also very fearful of man. And I think that we can all... Crumple. Someone asks you about the Lord and what the Lord's, you know, you go to church, don't you? You have this inner collapse. And here's this woman... And no doubt the Bible says lying is wrong. The lying is a sin. She broke the law, the law of God. There's no. It's part of the authenticity of the Bible, actually. Like if you're maybe tuning in with us, maybe you just joined us for the first time and you're like, well, I'm not so sure about the Bible, but I'll listen for a while today. Look at, you know, one of the amazing things about the Bible is this, is that the Bible does not shield the reader from the flaws and the failings of the characters in Scripture. From all their shortcomings. You know, Rahab, I would tell you, she isn't a hero. She's a woman who had put her faith in God, but she was wrestling it out in her character still. It was still being worked out. She wasn't all polished and perfect. and She, was, she just believed in who God was. Believed she had a faith in what was going to happen here as we, we're going to see in a, in a few moments. And, and, you know, if you cruise Scripture, one of the things you see is, well, you could pick any person out of Scripture and see more of the same. They're not heroes. You know, when you grow up in church, you, like, you, you build these characters, Samson, David, Gideon, all these, whoever it is, into heroes. But they're still just regular people like you and I who are wrestling out the character of God in their lives. And so pick anybody you want. And you'll see that they're ordinary men and women in Scripture. They were just people. Because the Bible only has one hero, by the way. Only got one hero in the Bible. His name is Jesus. And the rest are people on a journey towards the promised land. And the Bible presents people broken. The Bible presents people imperfect. The Bible presents people discouraged. The Bible presents people who lie, who are adulterous, who do all sorts of terrible things because they're wrestling through character issues. And you know, you read something like this, the story of Rahab, and you might be tempted to point the finger at her, but I would say this. How's Rahab any different from Peter? Remember Peter denied Jesus three times and he lied in doing so. Three times on the night Jesus was betrayed, Peter, like, bold-faced lied. In fact, Genesis, Abraham lied about his wife. Isaac lied about his wife. It's not excuse. Look at I'm not making excuses for these people. Please don't. I'm not, I'm not justifying lying. I'm not making excuses for lying. Lying is wrong. The Bible says not to do that. It's a sin. 
But I'm saying this. Here's what I'm saying, that I think most of us that are tuning in can relate to someone cracking under pressure and, and taking the easy way. And so Rahab did that. She's confronted by this king. She's got two men hiding in her house. She's tucked them up on the roof. She is protecting them because, as we're going to see, she believes in the God whom they serve, and she believes God has given them the land. So she wants in on the family of God, with the people of God. And when she's confronted, she cracks under pressure. And, and, and so all that said, you know, quickly, I think we should just remember here that the, the main lesson is not what Rahab said. The main lesson is what Rahab did. She demonstrated faith by receiving the spies and, and risking her life to protect them. And I want to tell you this. If you're going to enter the life of promise with Jesus, it's not about what you say. It's about what you do. Man is justified not by his words, but by his works, James said. With her words, Rahab, before the Jericho king, she blew it. She blew it. But her faith was not hidden to those whom she was hiding in her house. Let's read on. Verse 8. Before the men lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan to Sihon and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. Verse 11. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted. And there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. Now this is amazing, you guys. This is a Canaanite woman in an, in an unlikely place, teaching an unlikely lesson to God's people, an unlikely person. And Rahab, here's Rahab. You know, look, I think about this one. She showed more faith then 10 spies who 40 years earlier had come to spy out this land. And, and she came back, they came back and they brought a discouraging report. And here's what Rahab said. She said this, I know something, guys. I know something. I might have blown it with my mouth over here, but here's what I know. I know God has given you this land. I, I've heard. I know and I've heard what you did. I heard how you, I, I know how God led you through the Red Sea, and I heard how you, you defeated these kings in the wilderness. And Rahab, here's this woman. Here's the second thing I want you to catch. First thing I told you is this, her faith was courageous. Here's the second thing about her faith. Her faith was based on facts. Her faith was based on facts, not feelings. The things that she knew and the things that she had heard about the miracles that God had performed, like the opening up of the Red Sea at the Exodus, the things that she had heard about the kings that Israel had defeated in their wanderings, said, I know these things. These things are facts. You know, it's interesting when we talk about faith and entering the promises of God and what is faith. You know, many people think faith is a feeling. Or many people base their faith on their feelings. 
And they believe that faith is like this emotion, this feeling that has to be stirred up. And, and then as, as you get faith riled up and you feel this swelling like a well coming up inside of you, that, that, that faith will, you know, lead you to seeing great things happen. And it's weird to me, you know, it's like, I would just tell you that's faith and faith. Faith is not an emotion. Faith is not a feeling. That's not what faith is. I'm not saying that feelings aren't important, that emotions aren't important. Our emotional state matters to God. God is concerned about your emotions. If you're like, if you're discouraged or depressed, man, you need to know, God, if you've got anxiety and worry, you need to know God is concerned about that. He loves you. He wants, to, he wants to take that anxiety. He wants to take that worry. He wants to bring peace into your heart and into your mind. But, but here's what I would tell you when it comes to the matters of faith. Faith is not about what you feel. Faith is about what you know. Faith is about what you know, and faith is about what you've heard. What you know and what you've heard. Rahab said, I know this, and I've heard this. And she believed. That's faith. Faith is about the things that you know about God. Faith is about the things you've heard from God. And she says, I know God has given you the land. I've heard I've heard what God did, and I heard what you did. And Rahab knew by faith that these things were going to happen, and so she allowed faith to direct her action. She became a doer of the word. She became a doer of the things she knew and the things she had heard. And faith stirred her actions, and, or directed her actions, and stirred her emotions. That's what faith will do for your emotions. It will stir your emotions. But it's not an emotion. It'll direct your actions and stir your emotions. And what she knew by faith caused her not only to be concerned about herself and about these two men that were in her home that she was hiding, but it also caused her to act in faith and ask for her family, for the salvation of her family. Check it out, verse 12. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that as I have dealt kindly with you, you also will deal kindly with my father's house and give me a sure sign that you will save alive my father and my mother, my brothers and my sisters and all who belong to them and to deliver our lives from death. I, I read that. I'm like, wow, that's amazing. I think that there are people holed up in houses all around the world saying similar things like this. God, just save my mother. God, in the midst of this, preserve my father. In the midst of this, God, my brothers and my sisters, Lord, they're in other cities. They're isolated in other towns. My children, they're, they're here with me in my house, Lord. We're isolated together. Or my kids are in another province or another country or whatever it is. And, and people have this deep concern and this heart for their families. It's natural. That's how God's made us. And Rahab was burdened with the rescue of her family. It's like Andrew in the New Testament when he heard Jesus be preached and the things that Jesus taught. He, guess who he went looking for? His brother. That's the first place he went. He went and found his brother, Simon Peter. He said, come, come meet Jesus. That's why when Jesus healed that one leper in the gospel accounts, he went home and he told everyone at home what Jesus had done for him. And Rahab said, I need assurance for my family. I need, assure, I need to know my family's going to be saved. And so she made this request to these men. Now look at verse 14. And the men said to her, Our life for yours, even to death. 
If you do not tell this business of ours, then when the Lord gives us this land, we will deal kindly and faithfully with you. I love this because Rahab knew that these men, she said, I know that God has given you this land. And they said to her, okay, you save our lives. Then when we enter this land and God gives it to us, we're going to save yours. Look at verse 15. Then she let them down by a rope through the window, for her house was built into the city wall so that she lived in the wall. And she said to them, go to the hills or the pursuers will encounter you and hide there three days until your pursuers have returned. Then afterward, you may go your way. One of the things that's interesting about both chapter one and chapter two is this three-day instruction. I actually, as I was studying this, I actually think that Joshua, because remember, I, maybe you were with us two weeks ago or not, but if you weren't, man, you can go to the church YouTube page and you can watch that teaching from Joshua chapter one. And, and it, it'll be way smoother than anything you watch today. And, uh, and one of the things that we saw in Joshua chapter one was this instruction that the people were to take three days and prepare before they entered the land. I think, and the, the original language gives this hint that Joshua sent these spies in on the front end of those three days. Because he told them the same thing, take three days, go and explore the land and come back. So I think while one set of people is on the other side of the river preparing, these two spies have gone in during the same three days and they're exploring the land, looking for God's direction. And you know, we've just come out of the season of remembering the cross and celebrating the resurrection of Jesus. Uh, we know in scripture the value of three days. Jesus says Jonah was in the belly of a whale for three days and nights. The son of man will be in the belly of the earth for three days and three nights. Three days in scripture is the picture or the time recognized of the death and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And so it's amazing here that, that, that she gives, Rahab gives this instruction to go and hide yourself. And to me, here's the application for us, church. Hide your life in the death and resurrection Hide your life in the death of Jesus because it leads to the resurrection life. And when I challenge you today that, that faith is less about what you say and more about what you do, I'll tell you this, you will never enter into the resurrected life of Christ by striving with your own you know, resolutions and efforts and, and, and battles. You know, remember how powerless you felt before Jesus? You were powerless, you know, in your life. And, and the truth is you come into faith with, in a faith relationship with Jesus and, and your good self is just as powerless to live a good life as your bad self used to be. And you have to learn that strength comes from being hidden. Strength comes from being hidden. Rahab said, go and hide yourself for three days. Joshua said to the people on the other side of the river, Prepare yourself for three days. Consecrate yourself. And we have to learn that our strength comes from being hidden and the secret is being hidden in the resurrected life of Jesus Christ. Now verse 17 says this, And the men said to her, We will be guiltless with respect to this oath of ours, of yours, that you have made us swear. Behold, when we come into the land, you shall tie this scarlet cord in the window 
through which you let us down. And you shall gather into your house your father and your mother, your brothers and your father's household. Then if anyone goes out of the doors of your house into the street, his blood shall be on his own head. And we shall be guiltless. But if a hand is laid on anyone who is with you in the house, his blood shall be on our head. Verse 20. But if you tell this business of ours, then we shall be guiltless with respect to your oath that you have made us swear. And she said, according to your words, so be it. Then she sent them away and they departed. And she... In scripture, the scarlet cord in the window. That's why I just called the message the scarlet cord. My mother, my father, my brothers, all their families. And the instruction... for the salvation of your family is they have to be in your house. They have to come into this house. Outside of this house, this is a house of salvation, Rahab. <laughs> Amazing. Salvation has come to this house. There was salvation in Rahab's house. Just like the ark. Remember the ark? Noah built the ark. And the Lord said, you have and your children and your grandchildren, they've got to come into the ark. And then I'll close the ark. And for Rahab, the house was a house. The condition for their salvation was to be in the house. And then the spies instructed her. House, mark your home, Rahab, and you're going to do it with this scarlet cord. It's interesting in Scripture. On her roof, flax on her roof. She was a woman who was drying flax on her roof, and she was a woman who was stuff too. And you know that's amazing that in Proverbs chapter 31 that speaks of a wise woman, a godly woman. Rahab had salvation. She had salvation. Her house was a house of salvation. But her faith was justified by her works, proven by her works. And so they told her In my studies, that a that a house uh, a, a house of prostitution painted red, which is interesting because if you just consider a red cord hanging from that same house, a cross. Her house was marked with the symbol of our salvation. That, that this is the story of the gospel that, that Jesus used 
Jesus. He came, God in the flesh. And in, in the fullness of himself, the sins of the entire world, the wrath of God was laid upon him. Face the judgment of God. The wages of sin is death, and he bore. took a spear and thrust it through his side and blood and water flowed and and then when they knew he was quickly wrapped him up and sealed the tomb and the authorities placed soldiers in him and loved him waiting to go and properly care for his body and on that Sunday resurrection Sunday Jesus Christ had risen from the dead. He was victorious over death. Victorious over sin that Christ on the cross paid the price for your sin and my sin and every sin that has ever happened. And he was victorious over death, victorious over the grave, victorious over sin, victorious over the devil. And the resurrection tells us that in him there is life and in him there is salvation. And the symbol that marked the house of Rahab was the symbol that we often mark, you know, maybe we hang it around our neck or we mark the cross of Christ. The scarlet cord. It's amazing that the scarlet thread, the scarlet cord appears all throughout Scripture in all sorts of different places. It's a fun word study just that maybe this afternoon just grab a concordance, go online, you know, Bible Gateway or something. Just type in scarlet and see what comes up in your Bible. And so they said, yes, there's salvation for you, Rahab. There's salvation for your mothers, your brothers, your, your mother, your brothers, your father, their children. But it's in this house. Your life has to be marked by this. There's salvation nowhere else except in Jesus, Rahab. Verse 22 tells us, we'll read to, to the end here. It says, they departed and went into the hills and remained there three days until the pursuers returned. And the pursuers searched all along the way and found nothing. Then two men returned. They came down from the hills and passed over and came to Joshua, the son of Nun. And they told him all that had happened to them. And they said to Joshua, Truly the Lord has given all the land into our hands and also all the inhabitants of the land melt away because of us. You know, this is an amazing picture because here's what these guys did. I want you to catch this picture. What's the picture in the Old Testament here? Everything in the Old Testament points to Jesus. Everything. He is the fulfillment of Genesis to Revelation. He is, Jesus is the fulfillment from Genesis to Malachi. All of the Old Covenant, all of the Old Testament is fulfilled in Jesus. And the amazing thing here is this is that it says that these pursuers were after these men death was chasing them death was chasing them but they were hidden they were hidden away and and after three days it's like they come forward from the dead that's the picture i want you to see 
It's like they come forward from the grave, and who do they go to? They go to Joshua. They say, Joshua, just like you and I, we go to Jesus. They say, Joshua, it's true. Everything's true, Joshua. God has truly given us this land. The, the hearts of those in the land are melting for fear of us. And I want to tell you, you and I can do the same thing. We go to Jesus. And it's so cool. You know, it's like, it's like when he sent out the 72 and they went and preached. And then, then they, those 70, they came back to Jesus and they said, Jesus, it's true. We preached the kingdom. And demons were subject to your name and people got saved and there were healings. It's true, Jesus. Jesus is like, I know, boys. This is awesome. Right on. Sweet. I'm glad that you caught picture of the resurrection life. These spies came to Joshua. They said, it's true. Just like you and I do. When we, when we see the victory of God, when we see in faith what God is doing. And so the faith of these spies at the end of the story is amazing. So let me wrap up right here with, with just three real quick applications. Number one. Here's number one. For as high as the heavens are higher than the earth, the Lord says, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. I just want to encourage you. You know, we need to know this in this day. God uses unlikely places. He uses unlikely people to teach unlikely lessons. God is doing amazing things in our days, church. Amazing things. He can work. We're on, we're on the internet. We can't, we can't meet this or that. God is doing things that are beyond what we could ask or imagine. And so let's trust him. Let's look to see what he's doing. Let's recognize his thoughts aren't our thoughts. Let's not box our God in. Because you can't box him in. The second thing I want to remind you is this. With regards to this unlikely lesson, unlikely person, unlikely place, it all is so that God gets the glory. That's the reason why it happens. It's so that his strength can be displayed. And so I want to encourage you. Be willing to be weak. Be willing to be hidden in Christ Jesus. Just keep going there. Just keep going to that picture of going to the, to the cross and, and the resurrection. Hide yourself in Jesus. Be willing to be weak. And the last thing I want to leave you is this. In the life of promise, in the life of promise, faith without works is dead. Church, we need to know this. In these days, faith without works is dead. The Lord would challenge you. The Spirit of God would challenge you. You show me your faith. Tell me your faith by the things that you say. Or show me your faith by the things that you do. Look at church. Let's show our faith in Jesus by the things that we do. Let's bow our heads in prayer this morning. Lord. I just thank you for this time together in your word. Lord, I thank you for every person that's joined us today online. Lord, I thank you that, man, you're bigger than technical difficulties. And Lord, I don't know who's joined us right now. God, I just pray for each and every person who's tuning in. Lord, first of all, I just pray for those that don't know you. Lord, I pray uh, that right now the Spirit of God would just draw their hearts. Lord, that they, that they would hear. That they would hear about you, Lord, through, through your, the teaching of your word. Lord, that they would sense deep in their hearts that the things that have been said to them are true, that they're real, that there is salvation in Jesus, that there is hope in Jesus, that there is 
living hope in Jesus. And I pray for those ones just at home now, Lord, that if they don't know you, that they just reach out and say to you, Lord, I, I believe. I don't, I don't know what it means yet, Lord, but I believe. I put my faith in you, Jesus. I, I would just say to you, if, if you don't know Jesus, just say to Jesus right now, Lord, I'm not sure what it means, but I put my faith in you. I want to follow you. And Jesus will lead you. And then get in, get in contact with us and we want to help you and encourage you. And let me pray for those uh, others that are with us this morning, Lord. And I, and I pray just for the rest of Lord, that you just abundantly pour out your grace, Lord. That you calm every fear, that you calm every anxiety, Lord, that, your, that, that, that worry would be met with your peace and with your grace. And Lord, that our hearts would be transformed. Lord, we pray that we would be men and women who not only by our works, Lord. And we thank you for Rahab, Lord, because she's the lesson. If we're going to answer faith and works. Lord, we bless you this morning. I pray your blessing upon your people in Jesus' name.